Good morning, Brook Hills. My name is Scott James. I have the, the joy of being uh, one of the elders here at the Church of Brook Hills. Uh, also have the joy of bringing the word with you this morning. So uh, we're going to dive into Proverbs chapter 4. If you have your word, please go ahead and open up there. We are continuing on in the Strong Foundations series. So Matt got us kicked off last Sunday. Strong Foundations is about looking at the Word of God and looking at its transforming power in our life. In Brook Hills Kids Ministry, where I serve, that is our fastball. We love sharing God's Word with your children, our children. Uh, We love sharing uh, the power of the Spirit, the salvation that Jesus Christ offers, and helping them hide God's Word in their heart and see how that can transform them moving forward as as they go on and live a life glorifying God. So we have these cards and we memorize lots of scripture together uh, and it's so fun. Uh, Dozens of kids every Sunday are reciting verses all over the place and it's just, uh, it's so encouraging. So we thought it'd be fun to take those verses and let those be the kind of foundation points for a sermon series in which we all rejoice in God's word and it's transforming power together. So in light of that, rather than me reading Proverbs 4, 10 through 15, which is our passage, we are going to be led by my friend, Simeon Bugner, who has hidden God's word in his heart. Hey, my name's Simeon Bugner. This is Proverbs 4, 10 through 15. Listen, my son, accept my words and you will live many years. I'm teaching you the way of wisdom. I'm guiding you on straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction, don't let go. Guard it, for it is your life. Keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of evil ones. Avoid it, don't travel on it, turn away from it and pass it by. Amen to that. Absolutely, Proverbs, y'all, is one of my favorites. The book of Proverbs uh, is so rich, so accessible. Even from a young age, it was a book that I was drawn to as uh, putting the cookies on the lower shelf. I can look at this, I can uh, read this and understand this. I've always just found it uh, so inviting. So what's interesting about the book of Proverbs, we're gonna start kind of big picture on Proverbs and then drill down into chapter four where we are. One of the things I find interesting about Proverbs is it doesn't directly advance the narrative of the Bible's big storyline per se. It's not introducing a whole bunch of new plot points in God's big redemptive story. But what it does is it fills in and colorizes the world in which we live. And not just the world, but it gives insight on the God who created it. We get a very hands-on discussion in Proverbs of the character of God, what he values, what he finds worthless, and how we can live a good life with him. It is an intimate look at communion with God. So Proverbs, is it's kind of multifocal. It, It gives us a look back at where we've come from. It gives us a look around at the world around us and the people that we live with. And then it gives us a look ahead at where we're headed. Uh, So that's what we're going to do today. So Proverbs is also rich in imagery and metaphor. If you are like an English major kind of person, Proverbs is probably in your wheelhouse. It is super rich with metaphors, imagery, all kinds of creative language. All of it is designed to show us how to live well in God's world. Proverbs shows us how to live well in God's world. So right out of the gate, We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to see that Proverbs gives us a purpose statement from the very beginning. 
tells us what we're here for. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. So Proverbs imparts this wisdom. It does so in a variety of ways. So there's this series of 10 father-son chats that happens in the beginning. That's where our passage is found. And then it has this sort of curated collection of proverbs and sayings. And then it actually culminates at the end with a portrait of wisdom incarnate in the form of a strong, faithful, godly woman. So before we get to that finishing portrait, however, we see that wisdom itself is a central theme all throughout the book. It's even personified several times throughout the book in different voices, one of them being lady wisdom in contrast to lady folly. There's the way of the wise and the way of the fool. So as we drop down into Proverbs chapter four in our passage, we are entering into one of these father-son chats in which wisdom is being handed down as a family legacy. Now in this situation, it's specifically a father talking to his sons, but we can broaden that circle for sure because you don't have to flip a page hardly before you also see exact same templates of this type of uh, passage in which the words are saying, listen to the words of your mother. Or in our very passage, before we get to our section, the father is saying, let me tell you what I learned from my father. So it's this intergenerational thing happening here, which I think is so important. And as a kids ministry guy, that's kind of like my heartbeat as well. So uh, I got some good advice this morning. Uh, Somebody, my friend backstage told me, uh, if you're nervous at all, just pretend that everybody out here is in fifth grade. (laughs) And that's what I'm doing right now. Because I'm more comfortable with fifth graders, right? It's that intergenerational uh, God's family connection that that is uh, emphasized here. Um, I had another friend this week that was just celebrating the joy of intergenerational friendships. Now, she was uh, clearly talking about older, younger to older. Uh, She was thinking of the older uh, wise people in her life, and I celebrate that wholeheartedly. But as she said it, I immediately thought, absolutely, some of my best friends are fifth graders. So this intergenerational thing, it goes both ways, uh, and it is so important in the life of God's family. So imparting wisdom in that way, God's word flowing down through God's agents, different people in our lives, if we want to live well in God's world, the father is telling his son in this passage, wisdom is the way. So in verse 11 of chapter 4, he specifically says, I am teaching you the way of wisdom. Now, Wisdom, loosely defined, is often considered to be skills for life, the practical application of knowledge. And that's true, but we also need to see, we've already seen from chapter one that wisdom is not just worldly know-how. The wisdom of Proverbs, it's not just some ancient version of a life hack. Wisdom is fundamentally God-centered. The observations and the commands of Proverbs are not merely life skills. They show us how to live in harmony with God and with his world. The end game here is this concept of shalom, peace with God and man. So there's this inherently moral and God-centered aspect to biblical wisdom. Chapter one has already told us that it fosters righteousness, justice, and integrity. And then if we drop in on Proverbs chapter three, What's very interesting 
is that Proverbs tells us that this is the way that the world was designed from the very beginning. So look with me in Proverbs chapter three, verse 19. The Lord founded the earth. How? By wisdom. He established the heavens by understanding. So Solomon, the father in this passage, isn't workshopping some new idea here. Wisdom is baked into our design because it's part of the perfect character of our designer. Or if you want to get even more poetic about it, look at how wisdom personified is speaking about the creation narrative in Proverbs chapter 8. Wisdom says, I was there when he established the heavens, when he laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, when he placed the skies above, when the fountains of the ocean gushed out, when he set the limit for the sea so that the waters could not violate his command, when he laid out the foundations of the earth. I, wisdom, was a skilled craftsman beside him. I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. I was rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the children of Adam. So here we've got wisdom speaking in this personified form saying, I was there from the beginning. I was a partner, a skilled craftsman in the design and creation of the world. So what does that mean for us? To live in wisdom is to live according to God's design, according to his way. If God is the builder and the architect, to be wise is to live with the grain of his design. And in doing so, we live in harmony with him as we grow closer to him. And that's what Proverbs, that's what the whole Bible is pointing us forward to. Here's a revelation of who God is. Know him and grow closer to him. So the reason that wisdom is valuable to us, it's not because it helps us know stuff and do stuff. The reason wisdom is valuable is because it draws us closer to the heart of God. So if godly wisdom is our aim, how do we get there? The father in this passage makes it very clear. God's word charts our course. If wisdom is our aim, God's word charts our course. So the father's main lesson in Proverbs 4 is that God's word shows us the way of wisdom. The essential message is listen, learn, and live. So one of the nice things about wisdom is that it's publicly available. You have to be listening and looking for it, but it is publicly available. It's not some sort of hidden, secret knowledge. All over Proverbs, wisdom is calling out, saying, come and get me. Proverbs 4, 5 directly tells us, actively pursue it. It says, get wisdom. You can hear the imperative of it. Get wisdom. Get understanding. It's a holy ambition to pursue wisdom in this way. But in the getting, we have to understand that wisdom is ultimately received, not invented. So the father says in verse 10 of our passage, listen, accept my words. So he's telling his kids, receive the teaching from God and from the godly people he has put in your life to point you towards him. Recognize that God is the source of that. Find your life in him. Look a little bit more succinctly at Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6. The flow of the origin of wisdom is very, very clear. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives wisdom. The Lord is our guide on wisdom's journey. 
He brings faithful people into our lives to help us along the way. Listen, learn, and live. Now, in this, in this journey and looking at the word and letting the word inform how we live in this way, I see an echo of Deuteronomy 6. I see an echo of the Shema. So the Shema, these verses in Deuteronomy 6, they were precious in the life of uh, Israel and in our own lives. Let me read it for you. See if you can find some parallels here with the general themes we're talking about so far. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be as a symbol on your forehead. Now, I hope you're seeing themes, but let me drill down even more specifically and show you Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. Watch these parallels. My son, keep your father's command. Don't reject your mother's teaching. Always bind them to your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk here and there, they will guide you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you wake up, they will talk with you. For a command is a lamp, teaching is a light, and corrective discipline is the way to life. So in both of these passages, we are called to be so steeped in God's word that it is as if it is bound to our hands, our head, our heart. We take it with us wherever we go. And in that, we find blessing. And blessing is generally summarized as the promise of life. Deuteronomy 6 says that you may have a long life. And in our passage in Proverbs 4, it says, do this so that you may live many years. So you see this echo here, both in Deuteronomy and in Proverbs. God's revelation shows us the way of life. So listen, learn, and live. Proverbs 4 all of the Bible for that matter, it's not just some list of commands. It's not just a list of rules of do's and don'ts. Proverbs 4 is, there's a lot of commands in here. The father's even giving quite a few negative commands. Don't do this, don't do that. Proverbs 4 is not just a father telling his kids to do better. It's a father entreating his kids to cling to God. Not merely do this, but trust him. So as we listen and learn on the way of wisdom, Life with God is shown in Proverbs as a whole lot of different metaphors, but one of the main metaphors is this path or this road on which we travel. So as we journey along this road, I see a couple of different things happening, but one of the things I pull out of there is I see that as we journey along this road, wisdom is helping us prepare for the rhythms of the road. Wisdom is helping us prepare for the rhythms of the road. So look with me at these rhythms in verses 11 and 12 of our passage. I am teaching you the way of wisdom. I am guiding you on straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. So in these verses, I see two different rhythms that we need to be, be aware of as we travel. One is this awareness of our pace. Sometimes we're walking, sometimes we're running. The other is an awareness of our road conditions potential obstacles that could be in our way. So uh, I am about to use some running analogies here. I want to make it very clear up front, I am not a runner. Now, a lot of people here at Brook Hills love running. God bless you weirdos. I want you to hear this. I am for you, but I am not with you. 
You did get my son hooked, though. So I think part of it was Pastor Matt always talking about running up here and making it seem cool and hip. He normalized it, and it made us think that that's like a normal thing that people do. And so my son bought in, and he started running a few years ago. And boy, like he jumped in. He got it. I don't get it. He, he got into it so much that he's the kind of person that just sort of randomly a few weeks ago woke up on a Tuesday morning and said, I think I'll go run a half marathon today. And he did it. Like, I don't understand that. I have trouble as a parent relating. You know, you get like your kids get teenage years and you got to find ways to relate with them. I don't understand that. So one of my best allies, however, in relating with my kid and this, this joy of running that I don't get uh, is my friend, Jason. So many of you know a guy named Jason. He's my partner up in kids ministry. Last year, we taught this amazing group of fourth and fifth grade guys. This past year, uh, we had fifth grade guys. Jason and I are uh, buddies and we love serving in kids ministry together. If you know Jason, you know that he is a runner and not just a runner, but like an elite runner. Like if you can think of all, all the marathons that come to the top of your head, he's run them all, right? Like he's amazing. Uh, he's the kind of guy I come in on Sunday morning up to kids ministry uh, and I meet him up there at 8.30 or so in the morning and I say, how many miles did you run today? And it's usually some weird number, like 17 or something like that. That's just who he is. But, so he's my ally. He helps me understand. He told me this story the other day, the other month, of a 10K that he ran. So this long distance sort of run. And this is a story that ties into the pacing concept that we're talking about here. Uh, he's at the starting line now Jason's a good guy. He's not a young man, though. So he's standing there next to a couple of high school kids. And the starting gun goes off on this long-distance race, and these high school kids bolt. I mean, they're going fast. And he's sitting here thinking, that is not the correct pace for a 10K. And so he's a wise man. He has this decision to make. Am I going to chase after them and try to keep up with the Joneses, or am I going to stay in my own pacing and do my own thing? Uh, and boy, he was telling me he was tempted to try to show them a lesson and kind of keep up with the young bucks. Uh, but he was wise, and he decided to pace himself according to what he knew was the best for his 10K long-haul race. Uh, well, so sure enough, when they got to the halfway point, it turns out that in that particular race, and Jason hadn't realized this, there was a 5K split off. And so those guys went to the 5K mark, peeled off, and they were done with their race. They were pacing differently. They had a different endpoint in mind, a different goal in mind. If he had tried to keep up with them, he would have tired himself out and not met his goal. And so he made this wise decision to pace himself and not try to pace himself according to what other people are doing. So. I don't know anything about running, but I know from stories like that, that pacing is important. And I think that's what we're seeing here when we talk about this journey of life. In, verses, in verse 12 here, we see these differing rhythms of pace. So on this journey, wisdom is telling us sometimes we'll be running and sometimes we'll be walking. So life has different gears. And if we're only ever in one gear, whether it's fast or slow, we're doing it wrong. God has designed us for rhythms of work and rest, seasons of feast and seasons of famine, the highs of happiness, the lows of lament. We are not designed to be happy, clappy, gung-ho, hard-charging all the time. Wisdom is being able to read the room and know the right pace for a given situation or a given season. So verse 12 also shows us that the rhythms of the road are not just this speed and pacing, but sometimes it's just about navigating road conditions. It says sometimes there will be clear paths and sometimes there will be obstacles and hindrances. 
it says specifically that if we're following God's way, we will not be hindered and we will not stumble. But doesn't that necessarily imply that there are obstacles in the way? So if I'm at the starting line of a flat, pristine stretch of road, I don't need you putting your arm around me and saying, don't worry, you won't stumble. Duh, it's a flat road. Like, I'm good. Who am I kidding? I recently broke my toe just reaching for a glass of water. (laughs) So I probably could use your encouragement in that moment as well. But even more so, what if I'm looking at this nightmarish obstacle course of potholes and traffic cones? That's when I need you to come alongside me and say, don't focus on that. Be aware of it, but you're going to navigate it. God's going to bring you through it. That's when we need this encouragement of you will not stumble. So the obstacles are there in some seasons, not all, uh, but God is here telling us, promising us that he's with us and he's gonna see us through it. If the road is, uh, sorry, God assures us here that on wisdom's journey, obstacles and hindrances, both external and internal, and that's a whole nother sermon, those obstacles and hindrances are present, but they will not be determinative in our life. God will see us through. So in our lives, not only does godly wisdom help us with healthy pacing, it also helps us spot pitfalls while relying on God to bring us past them. All right, so we're looking at how God's word charts our course. We listen, we learn, we live. We let wisdom prepare us for the rhythms of the road. And as we travel, we also recognize there are forks in the road. When we consider the paths ahead of us, wisdom, wisdom helps us see that walking with God brings joyful alignment on the way. When we consider which path to take, walking with God brings joyful alignment to his way. So there are two paths before us in this passage. The way of wisdom in verse 11, the path of the wicked in verse 14. Or in verses 18 and 19, they're called the path of the right the path of righteousness and the way of the wicked. Proverbs 4 is telling us, warning us even, that it takes diligence to stay on God's path. So there's this need for an active defense, a defense of wisdom, like it's always under siege. Verse 13 specifically tells us, hold on to it, don't let go, guard it. So we keep hold of wisdom because we recognize that it's from God and we value it as the words of life. Verse 13 specifically tells you, for it is your life. So it's kind of like Peter when he says to Jesus in John 6, verse 68, where else would we go? you have the words of eternal life. So in a sense, guarding wisdom is kind of synonymous with clinging to God. Where else would we go? So, but also, in order to remain on God's path, it's not just an active defense, but there's, there's this need for active avoidance of that which does not reflect God's character. So it's framed with some urgency here in chapter four. When you see the path of the wicked, don't you even take the first step. There are these rapid fire commands that give us the urgent sense. Don't proceed, avoid it, don't travel on it, turn away, pass it by. It's framed in the negative here. And I will concede that I might have a natural tendency to bristle somewhat at being told what I cannot do. If you're like me, perhaps you find it helpful to also look at that mirror image. If this is a photo negative, what's the photo positive of what we're being called to? What is the positive vision of life on God's path. Well, thankfully, that's pictured all over God's word, but one of my favorite passages that pictures that image of life on God's path is Philippians chapter four. In verses eight and nine, 
Imagine living a life like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. What a beautiful life that sounds like. So we see here that avoiding the path of the wicked is not the rat race of legalism, as if we're earning house points to win some sort of religious game. Sticking to God's path is not a killjoy. In fact, it is the exact opposite. It's simply living in the joy of his way rather than veering off on our own. My friend Matt Smethers says it very well. Spiritual disciplines, we're going to use that term as kind of a a, a synonymous with what we're saying here, living in the wisdom of God's way. Spiritual disciplines are not how you earn God's love. They are how you enjoy it. This is joyful alignment with God's way. Living with the grain of his design as we shine his light and reflect his character. And the funny thing is, it's not even primarily about us. The emphasis is not on the steps that we take, but on the God who guides us and keeps us along the way. So for a great example of this, look with me in Psalm 37. A person's steps are established by the Lord. Let me say that again. A person's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks what is just. The instruction of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, their refuge in a time of distress. Key in on this with me. The Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they take refuge in him. So in this, we are taking steps. We're guided by and aligned with the righteous wisdom of God's word, internalized in our heart. But verses 39 and 40 make it crystal clear that the message is never save yourself. The message is always the Lord saves. Our eyes are fixed, not primarily on the path, but on the one who sets it. Proverbs is not calling us to blaze our own trail, but to keep our eyes fixed on God who has made the way for us. He carves out the road, he lights the path, he sets the signposts and the landmarks. Keep to his roads. Walking this road in the joy of the Lord leads us lastly to consider wisdom's ultimate destination. As we fix our eyes on God and the righteous path of salvation that only he can provide, we find ourselves gazing at the majesty of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have perfect wisdom and the life it provides. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. In him and only in him do we walk the path of righteousness. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he tells us Jesus Christ became wisdom from God for us. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. Or Colossians 2 puts it nicely when talking about Jesus. In him, Jesus, 
are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So friends, if you are stumbling along the way, seeking wisdom in all the wrong places, look to Jesus and live. And as we're on the road with Christ, we're gonna lastly close our time together by looking at where we came from and where we're going. I love this about Proverbs. It is this book that looks back, looks around, and looks ahead. I said at the beginning, this is, this is kind of a picture of communion with God. This is something when I think about actual communion, the, the bread and the wine that we take. This is something that I think about that I have tried to impart to my kids. When we're doing that communion with God, look back, look around, look ahead. Look back at the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross as you hold his body and blood in your hand. Look around at the people that you're with. Are you right with the people of God? Are you right with God yourself? Look ahead at where you're headed. Look ahead at the promises of God and his promised return. So next time we take the Lord's Supper together, be thinking about that. Look back, look around, look ahead. That's what Proverbs is doing this entire time as it teaches us about communion with God. And in that, we see that we left one garden, but wisdom is leading us back to another. So, One of the many things that I love about the book of Proverbs is that it is full of garden imagery. I love garden imagery. Trees, fruit, flowers, flowing water. It all brings to mind the shalom of the Garden of Eden, the perfect peace we had and right relationship with God. It's meant to make you think of that. So we've already seen from Proverbs 8 that wisdom was a skilled craftsman alongside God in the creation narrative. And if you'll recall, wisdom rejoiced in the new made world and delighted in the children of Adam. But what did Adam and Eve do with that? Did they stay on the way of wisdom? Did they listen, learn, and live? So here, run this quick thought experiment with me as we draw to a close. Looking at one of the most familiar passages in Proverbs, what would it have looked like if Adam and Eve had lived in the wisdom of Proverbs, the wisdom of God, when they faced temptation in the garden? So when that snake was whispering in their ear, think about this, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. If you could put yourself in their shoes and live in this truth, what would your decision have been when faced with that temptation? In this situation, we know from history, Adam and Eve did not flourish on the path of wisdom. They did not listen and live. No, they turned away and they proceeded down the wrong road. They trusted in someone else, the snake whispering in their ear. They relied on their own understanding and they thought themselves wise in their own eyes. They took the path that led away from God, taking all of us with them. We left the perfect peace of the garden, but thankfully God did not leave us to waste in the wilderness. As we wandered east of Eden, wisdom called out to us with a new path and a new destination. We've seen the way of wisdom, but how does Proverbs describe where we're heading on this path? Of course, it is with beautiful garden imagery. So in chapter three, wisdom leads us to a tree of life where we will live many years in a place, according to chapter 12 and 14, where there is no death. Does that sound familiar? 
In Christ, wisdom is ultimately leading us to an Edenic garden-like place with a tree of life where we will live forever, no longer under the curse of death. That's what Proverbs tells us. I hope that sounds familiar. In Proverbs, wisdom's journey points us to the eternal garden city that we see finally revealed in Revelation chapter 22. Think of the garden imagery through this passage. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the land down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. That's where wisdom is taking us. In Christ, wisdom brings us back to the garden. So friends, let's look to Jesus, lock arms in the gospel, and walk that road together.